Amen. All right, tonight we're in Genesis chapter number 40, of course. Uh, just a quick uh, summary of last week's chapter, the previous chapter, of course, Genesis chapter number 39, was about when Joseph actually was brought down to Egypt. Now, a couple of things happened particularly in that chapter. It started off you know, with uh, describing whose house Joseph was in, giving you the context. Of course, Joseph was given to Potiphar, the captain of the guard. And immediately it starts talking about how Joseph was a faithful servant. That was basically the overview, if you will, or, or the overall theme of Genesis chapter number 39. How Joseph was a great uh, uh, servant of Potiphar. And because of that, the Lord blessed him greatly. Um, uh, it, you know, the, the story moved on a little bit. You know, he continued to bless him further a few different times. It speaks of the great blessings that he's receiving. And then, of course, we saw how Potiphar's wife falsely accused Joseph of trying to lie with her. When actually, uh, you know, she was, she was the one that was lying about Joseph because he had rejected her. She was actually trying to lie with him. And he was being faithful unto his master and, uh, you know, uh, had rejected her. And because of that, she became bitter, as we had talked about last week. And then, um, as a result, she lied because, you know, he ran away and she had held on to a piece of the garment and uh, you know Potiphar was extremely angry took Joseph and threw him into prison you know he was put into the ward like the Bible says and while he was there even though he was in prison God was still blessing it, it blessing him it tells you that the Lord was with him so while he was in prison he was still being blessed by God. That's basically where we left off in Genesis chapter number 39. We're going to pick up here in Genesis chapter number 40, verse number 1. So this is when Joseph is in prison. Genesis chapter number 40, verse number 1 reads, <clears throat> And it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. One interesting thing just to keep in mind is the fact that we'll see here that uh, the, the terms pharaoh and king are used loose in a loose sense synonymous. You can see this throughout the Bible. That's pretty much what the title pharaoh means. It is just a title of royalty that specifically was used by the Egyptians about their leader, right? And they had a system of uh, what we would consider a monarchy, right? So pharaoh is pretty Pretty much a king, uh, as is described here in verse number one. So it tells us that the butler, the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. So they did something to offend Pharaoh. Verse number two, and Pharaoh was wroth. Wroth is, uh, means very angry. Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. So we can see here specifically that it's the head of the bakers and it's the head of the butler. So it's not just a butler, you know, just a, a regular steward that doesn't have any authority, just a, you know, just a, you know, a middleman or something like that. It's actually the chief of the butlers and the chief of the bakers. Verse number three, and he put them in ward. That means prison. Uh, you think of like a warden, right? That's the man that runs over the prison, the ward. And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison. So there the Bible defines itself. The place where Joseph was bound. So now it's telling you that they're put exactly where Joseph is located. They're being put in prison and specifically where Joseph was located. Verse number four. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph. Charge means like commanded. Charged Joseph with them and he served them. And they continued a season in ward. So notice that the captain of the guard, he gave a commandment or he charged Joseph with them. Talking about the chief butler and the chief baker. He charged them with them to look over them. And it says to serve them. He served them. It says, and they continued a season in the ward. So for a whole season, they were in the ward. Now, another thing that I want to point out to you is notice that they don't have the exact same status of everyone else. Notice that they're being served. So when they're, it's, it's interesting when you read this, when they're put into prison, we can tell that they are actually being treated a little bit better than, than uh, everyone else that's there because 
They are being served. And that's because, of course, they're the chief butler and the chief baker. Not only that, the other thing uh, that I wanted to remind you of was the fact that Joseph was given special authority while he was in the prison. The same way that the, uh, when he was serving Potiphar, Potiphar told him that, he, that everything was in his hands. He wanted him to rule over and oversee everything. And he was such a faithful servant that he said that he didn't even know anything that he had. He wasn't even aware of what was going on as far as his, his input, his output. He had no idea. He just knew that he had bread being put on his table every day, the Bible tells you. And he didn't need to look to those things because he trusted Joseph so well. And Joseph did so well with everything, he didn't even have to worry about it. Well... The captain of the guard did the exact same thing. And we can see that on top of this, when you know, the chief butler and the chief baker come in here, you know, those that would be considered prominent in society, it's not just like a transient that's thrown into jail. Even if you look at prisons today, the truth is that, those that if Bill Gates went to prison today, he's not going to be treated the same as everyone else, right? So that's what's going on here. And notice that Joseph, who is in charge of everything, he's told that he's going to specifically look over these two guys. So they're treated a little bit better than everyone else. I want you to notice verse number 5 now. Look at verse number 5 with me. It told us before they, you know, the verse number 4, it ended and said they continue to season in ward. Verse number 5 now says this, And they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his dream in one night. So in the very same night, they both dreamed a dream, and it says each man his dream. So it's not the same dream, it's a personal dream for them. Look at what it says next now. Each man according to the interpretation of his dream. So notice that the dream that's given is according to a interpretation. And that is because God is giving this dream. We're going to see in just a moment, of course. God is the one that gave them this dream and that there, there is an interpretation that goes along with this dream that is the whole purpose why God gave it to them. Uh, then it says this, The butler and the baker of the king of Egypt which were bound in the prison. So it's telling you the, the baker and the butler, they both dream their own dream according to a specific interpretation that God is going to give of each dream. Verse 6, And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. So he, he, he saw. Behold means that he saw. They were sad. Verse 7, And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? So notice, remember, he's the one that is looking over these men. And when he walks in, he asks them the question. He says, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? Verse number 8. And they said unto him, We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. So this is why they're sad. There's no way, there's no one that can interpret their dream. And Joseph said unto them, do not interpreta interpretations belong to God. Tell me them, I pray you. So notice there when, the way that Joseph responds. So they, ask, they say, hey, we're so sad because, because we dreamed a dream and there's no interpreter of it. And notice what Joseph responds with. He says, and it says, and Joseph said unto them, do not interpretations belong to God. To God. I want you to turn to 2 Peter chapter number 1. 2 Peter chapter number 1. Turn your Bibles to the New Testament, 2 Peter chapter number 1. <clears throat> now we know that this dream was specifically from the Lord. And uh, oftentimes, you know, and like I've said, almost pretty much exclusively, when the word of the Lord comes to someone, it comes in a vision and it comes in a dream. So this is 2 Peter chapter number 1. And we're told something here in 2 Peter about the Word of God. Uh, you know, oftentimes people will speak about, uh, you know, well, that's your interpretation. If you show them something in the Bible, especially if they don't agree with it, what do they say? Well, that's just your interpretation. That's the way that you interpret that, right? Let me say this, too, before we kind of, uh, you know, delve into this subject, because we're going to be on this for just a moment. I'm going to spend some time on this. The Bible, you know, 98, 99% of the Bible is just as clear as day. There is no misunderstanding it. It doesn't matter who reads it. You don't need any sort of interpretation. That's my point. You know, verses that are just as clear as day, like Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. 
not of works, lest any man should boast. Do we need someone to interpret that verse for us? No, it is so crystal clear. Well, how simple that verse was, that verse that I just quoted to you was, is how simple the whole Bible is, basically. 98, 99% of the Bible can be understood just as simply. If, if we're just talking about just each individual verse, you know, the majority of the Bible, now, yeah, doctrines, putting them together and, and building a doctrine, yes, that's more difficult, but I'm just talking about just reading the, the Word of God Reading an individual verse and just understanding what that verse says, almost all of the Bible is that simple. We, we, you don't need to interpret anything. Look here at, first, at 2 Peter chapter number 1, verse number 20. The Bible says this, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So notice in verse number 20 it says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy, none, period, no, nothing that is written in this book, no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. Now what does it mean to be a private interpretation? Well, private to privately interpret it would be for you yourself personally. That's what that's referring to. For the reader to privately outside of the Word of God because this is the source. That's why he explains in the following verse, he says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So who was the one and who was the, the source of the prophecy? He's saying that it was God's word. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So the point is that it's God's word and you don't take God's word and then you yourself personally privately interpret that. That's what the Bible is saying right there. So if you yourself come up with your own interpretation that was not given by God then you have now privately interpreted the Word of God. I want you to go back now with me to Genesis chapter number 40. So with that in mind, notice here what the Bible says. Verse number 8 one more time. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God. So like I said, let's, say, let's just say this. Let's say that 85% of the Bible, if someone, just to make sure, and I don't believe even for a second that that much of the Bible, that you know, 15% even of the Bible is, you know, difficult or cryptic to understand, but let's say 15% of the Bible is needs some sort of interpretation, right? We need an interpreter. Do you know who the interpreter is? God. Do you know who we get to interpret the Bible? God. Now, what do we do? We compare spiritual things with spiritual things. A person, a real true student of the Bible, you know what they, you know what they do when they're studying God's Word and they can't find an answer? Do you know what they do? They go get a history book. No, they do not go get a history book. What do they do? They search the Word of God because you know what they understand? Whether or not they understand the same exact concept or they can even point you to Genesis 40 and give you an explanation of this, what they understand is that interpretations belong to God. They, they start to study the Bible and you know what they figure out? God is going to interpret His own Word. So you have different passages in the Bible, you know, that maybe you have a little bit of trouble understanding. And they're, they're, I'm sure you could think of, of, of different personal situations where maybe where you're trying to figure out what a verse means. Hey, this is something that's been a hot topic, like a prophet. Let's say somebody can't understand 1 Corinthians 14 and they want to understand what is a prophet. Do not interpretations belong to God? Go back to 1 Samuel chapter number 9. You know what it tells you? A prophet is a seer. He that was, you know, before time called a, 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 a seer or a prophet was now, is now called, I'm sorry, a seer is now called a prophet, right? The Bible does this over and over again. The Bible defines itself. If you want an answer for something in the Bible, you don't go outside of the Bible and get a private interpretation from someone else. Get their own interpretation out here. What you do is you allow God to interpret His own Word. God will explain it to you. You, it, you compare spiritual things with spiritual things. I want you to go to the book of Daniel. I want you to see this again. Daniel chapter number 2. Daniel chapter number 2. <clears throat> Daniel chapter number 2. So this is not the only occurrence where a man of God makes this type of statement. 
you know, they're looking for a man to interpret this. Notice the humility of Joseph, and, and he understands that, hey, I'm not going to be able to interpret God's word, you know, just privately, right? Or, or interpret these visions, that, you know, which ultimately, like I said, is the word of the Lord. I need God to interpret it for me. If it's something that's difficult to understand, something that is mysterious, God's going to have to interpret this. So if you look in the Bible and there's something that's, that's symbolic, or there's something that is, you know, metaphoric, or, or it's, a, it, it's analogous, it's like an analogy, you know what you need to do? You need to study the Word of God. That's what you need to do. You need to compare spiritual things with spiritual things. You need to compare the Scriptures with the Scriptures, and God will interpret it for you. Do not interpretations belong to God? Look at Daniel chapter number 2. I want you to look with me at verse, we'll begin in verse number uh, 26. The Bible says, The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Belteshazzar, Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen, and the interpretation thereof? Now doesn't this sound familiar? This is basically exactly what the butler and the baker were asking, right? <clears throat> so they asked him, Are you going to be able to, to make known... Unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof. Look at verse number 27. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. Watch this, verse number 28. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy, of thy head upon thy bed are these. So notice first, Daniel says that the wise men, the astrologers, the soothsayers, all these other people, you know, the magicians, they're not able to do it. Why? Because they're just men, right? They can't privately interpret this. And then he says basically the exact same thing. He says, but there is a God in heaven and he'll make known unto you the secrets of your, of your, of, uh, your dream and your vision, right? He explains everything. Uh, uh, he actually gives him the dream itself. He reveals the dream and he interprets it for him. So what is Daniel explaining? He's saying the exact same thing that Joseph said. Do not interpretations belong to God. So if we come to a passage in the Bible when we're studying our Bible and we need to know what a prophet is, you know what you need to do? Yeah, you know what? It's hard work to study the Word of God. It's hard work, but you know what you need to do? You need to do a word search. You need to get into your Bible and read your Bible. You need to maybe look up every single time the word prophet comes up in Think about all of the different tools and resources that you have you know, handy to you today that you have at your exposure that you know, uh, pe the people of God did not have in the past. And people want to, ex want to complain about how difficult it is to sit down you know, with a concordance or to sit down even worse with a stinking Bible app where you can type in the words and it gives you the whole list of every time the word prophet pops up in the Bible. You can, you can even limit it. To a book, to a single book in the Bible. You, if, you want to look, if you wanted to look up a single word, an individual word, you can type that word into a Bible app. And, it, and most Bible apps have filters where you can say New Testament only, Old Testament only. You can say only the book of Matthew. Did Isaiah have the capability of doing that in his day? He did not. But people still want to complain about how difficult it is or how hard it is to study the Bible. Yeah, it is difficult and it is hard, right? That's why it says a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. The Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman, because it's work, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Do you know what you're going to be if you won't do work and you won't open up your Bible? You won't even get your Bible app out and, 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 and search up a word? And you're, you're you know, um, teaching things in error because you're wrongly dividing things? You're going to be ashamed. You're going to be ashamed. You know, the Bible's really clear. Much, you know, uh, a, lot of, a lot of studying and reading... It's difficult and it's hard work. The Bible teaches that. Yes, it is definitely hard work, but it's so much easier for you today than it was for those of the past even. We have it so much easier than they did. You know, what you need to do is you need to, uh, when we go to study the Word of God, we don't privately interpret things. You know what you need to do? 
You need to study the Word of God out. You need to do word searches. You need to look up every time that word comes up. You need to allow the Bible to interpret the Bible. Allow God to interpret His own Word. Right? We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And the Bible, or Jesus told us that, that the Holy Spirit would guide us. He will guide you into all truth. So if you sit down with your Bible, you have an honest heart. You're reading the Word of God. You're comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. God will guide you into all truth. Go back to Genesis chapter number 40. Genesis chapter number 40. <clears throat> so notice he says, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I pray you. Verse 9. And the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, a vine was before me. And in the vine were three branches. And it was as though it budded, and her blossoms shot forth. And the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. And I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup. And I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. That's interesting, though, obviously, the way that this is taking place. Now, <clears throat> in this dream, he's obviously uh, reenacting what he did for you know, a, a living. He was uh, the chief butler, and he bore the cup for the king or for Pharaoh, right? So, what he's doing is he's taking the grapes, and he's pressing them straight into uh, the cup for Pharaoh, right? Now, is this alcoholic um, 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 juice? Is that what this is? No, it's, it, this would be non-alcoholic juice, wouldn't it? Now, it's interesting, uh, when you study out the Bible, you know the word juice only occurs one time in the entire Bible. One time in the, in the entire Bible. It's 2 Samuel uh, chapter number 8. That's the only time it ever comes up. Now, do you think that that's the only time where the Bible talks about juice? Of course not. That's silly. Right here is an example. So we know that it was common. Pharaoh drank juice daily. Daily. So if, if people are drinking juice all the time, which they are, of course, that's silliness to say no people never drink juice, right? And people will say stupid things like that. They only drink alcohol all the time. That's all they drink. Just alcohol all the time. That's ridiculous. So if people were drinking juice all the time, and we look at the King James Bible, and the word juice only comes up one time, you're like, what in the world is going on? Well, this is, of course, because the word wine means juice. That is the definition of the word wine. You can prove this over and over again in the Bible. And uh, it, at the time that the King James Bible was translated, the word wine was the most common word that was used at that time for juice. You can compare other versions that were translated at that time. I believe it was the Geneva Bible. In the passage where juice comes up one time, in uh, second uh, or in uh, Song of Solomon, chapter number eight, I believe it's verse number uh, two or three. You know, she says, "You know, I would lead thee and bring thee into my mother's house." And she says, "I would cause thee to drink of the spiced wine of the juice of my pomegranate." Well, in the Geneva Bible, which was translated like you know not very much before, you know, within 30, 40 years or so of the King James Bible. Uh, the Geneva Bible actually says, you know, uh, the, the, I would cause thee to drink of the spice juice of the juice of my pomegranate. So notice just within those, obviously this isn't our authority, but we can still learn things by comparing these translations. I could show you first as my, as my authority from the Bible, you know, that the Bible talks about in the book of Isaiah, uh, I think it's like Isaiah chapter number uh, uh, 58. Does anyone remember where the Bible talks about... Uh, it talks about how the, the new wine is found in the clusters. Does anyone remember where that is? Maybe 63? No, no, no. It's in the book of Isaiah. It's, it's later on in the book of Isaiah. Yeah, it talks about how the new wine is found in the clusters. Now, isn't that a perfect parallel with what we see here? We see wine found in clusters. Now, what's the clusters? It's the clusters of grapes. So, it's taken, it's pressed into a cup. Did you find it? 65. Okay, I knew it was much later in the book of Isaiah. What's it say? You want to read it? Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster. And one say it not, for a blessing is in it. Right. So we see that the new wine is found in the cluster, right? So what's the cluster? It's a grape, right? And what was inside of this grape? New wine. What was the cupbearer doing? What, was, what, what, what do we see the, uh, the butler doing? He's taking a grape, the cluster, you know, he has the cluster, the grapes, 
takes the grape off of it, and he presses it straight into his cup. According to Isaiah 65, you said, right? According to Isaiah 65, what was that? It was new wine. That's the perfect parallel. So that's the reason why the word juice is not used very often in um, you know, the, the King James Bible is because that particular word at that time was not in common use. If you study words and etymology and things, certain words are more popular at certain times and understood differently. At that time, the word wine was the most popular word that was used for the word. So it just means juice in general. It could be alcoholic. It could be non-alcoholic. That's why uh, the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter number 23 says, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red. So is there, there is a time in which you can look at it and there's a time in which you should not look at it. It says, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red. And then he goes on to explain the fermentation process. You know, when it gives it this color in the cup and moves it itself awry, right? It's the bubbling. It starts moving. The only type of, of, of liquid that starts moving and bubbling and things like that would be, of course, alcohol. In, in, you know, naturally, outside of man, you know, carbonating drinks and things like that. But naturally, if you do, you know, if you, uh, especially at that time, the only thing that would be doing that is wine. It's alcohol. So that makes perfect sense why he says, look not thou upon the wine when... So there's two different types of wine, a wine you can look at and a wine you cannot look at. That's because wine just means juice. And you can take that juice and you can just drink it when it's pure, the pure blood of the grape. Or you can take it and a person, which is obviously sinful, can turn it into alcohol, right? And that is poison. That's why it's called the, you know, the poison of asp, right? That's what it referred to alcohol as in the Bible. It's very sinful. Of course, it's wicked to drink alcohol. Look at verse number 12. And Joseph said unto him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head and restore thee unto thy place. So back into his office as the butler, right? And thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand after the former manner when thou wast his butler. So he's going to be restored back to his office as the butler and as the cupbearer, uh, you know, where he is going to be doing the exact same work that he was doing previously. Look at verse number 14 now. And then uh, this is Joseph speaking unto the butler. He says, But think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh. And bring me out of this house. <coughs> verse, verse 15. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also have I done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. The dungeon. So he beseeches him here. You know, he asks him very humbly to, to remember me. He says, think on me. Right? Because he was, he was here able to interpret this dream for him. I'm sure it gave him you know, peace and joy here, at least momentarily. And uh, he says, think on me. Remember me. And then he explains to him, hey, I was stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And he says, and, and I didn't do anything. I was innocent and I was put into this dungeon. He says, so remember me and tell Pharaoh about me. Verse number 16, it says this. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said unto Joseph, I also was in my dream. And behold, I had three white baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket there was of all manner of baked meats for Pharaoh. And the birds did eat them out of the basket upon my head. So he's walking, he has these, these three white baskets, he's holding them on his head. And he says, in the t very top basket, there was all manner, saying all different type of baked meats, right? Uh, meats in the Bible just means food. So it's probably different types of doughs and things like that. Uh, it says, for Pharaoh, and the birds did eat them out of the basket upon my head. So the birds are all flying and they're eating it out of the basket, the top basket, right? With the baked meats, the different types of baked meats. And then verse 18, it says this, And Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation thereof. The three baskets are three days. So they also represent three days, just as they did for the butler. Verse 19. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off thee. So this starts off the same way. Then it says this though. And shall hang thee on a tree, and the birds shall eat thy flesh 
from off these. So notice here that those birds actually represented when they were eating the baked meats. And oftentimes bread will represent flesh in the Bible, right? Um, so they're eating the baked meats or this, this types, these types of breads uh, um, out of that top basket. And what that actually represents are the birds while he's hanging. So he's going to be left out there, of course, while he's, while he's, uh, when, he, when he is hanged. And uh, the birds are going to fly over and they are going to eat his flesh from off him. Now, is this a positive message? This is a very negative message, isn't it? But I want you to look up at verse number 16. You may or may not have noticed this. It says, When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said unto Joseph, I also was in my dream. So what prompted him or what compelled him you know, to ask Joseph to interpret his dream as well? It was when he saw that the interpretation was good for the butler, right? So what does that imply to you? That if maybe the interpretation would not have been good for the butler, would the chief baker have been interested in Joseph's message? It implies that he probably wouldn't have been interested, right? He says, when he saw that it was good, he said. So the whole reason why he asked was because what? It was good. What does it mean good? It means positive, right? Well, here is a perfect representation of, you know, a preacher, of, you know, a man of God that is preaching the Word of God. And that's what Joseph is doing. And what you have here is you have an audience of people that you're preaching to, right? Sometimes the message is going to be good, but sometimes the message is not going to be good. And the person that's the listener, the person that is, that is the hearer of God's Word, we should receive the Word of God, whether it's popular or whether it's not popular. Right? We see you know, uh, an example of this with, with Pilate where you can see that he's not really interested in what truth is. You know, uh, um, you know, uh, he makes the statement to Jesus, he says, what is truth? And then what does he do? He just walks away, right? He's not really interested in hearing the Word of God, right? We should, be, we should have an, a real true interest in the Word of God. We should want to know truth no matter if it's positive or no matter if it's negative. Now, the Bible is by and large a very negative book. The majority of what's in the Bible is negative. You know, when Ezekiel is given the word of the Lord and God comes to him in a vision, he says he sees a scroll coming. You know what it says is written? Within and without, both. Within and without. It says lamentations and woe and mourning. That's like, a, that's like basically what the majority of the Bible is about. Really, when you really break it down, you look at the book of Genesis, it's just a lot of trouble, it's a lot of trials, it's a lot of tribulation, you see God's wrath. You get into literally just a couple of chapters, you see man has died, you know, spiritually, you know, man starts dying physically, you see the serpent beguiling them, they're kicked out of paradise, uh, you know, you see Cain killing Abel, you see the wickedness of mankind to the extent where God says, I'm wiping out the whole human race. Then you just see, basically, uh, when it's following Abraham, there's just, there, there's just you know, even with Abraham, who is, who is uh, you know, uh, comparably, comparatively a righteous man, just committing sin after sin. You see the 12 tribes of Israel just committing great wickedness, having trials, tribulations, sufferings coming into their life over and over and over again. Look at the book of Revelation. How does the Bible end? The majority of the book of Revelation is not positive. Yeah, I realize Revelation 21 and 22 are fun to read. And hey, I'm looking forward to heaven and all those things, but that's not the majority of the book of Revelation. The majority of the book of Revelation is God pouring out His wrath. When you look at what Jesus preached, most of what Jesus preached was highly negative. It was highly negative. So you know what you need to do as the hearer? need to receive it whether it's positive or whether it's negative. Whether you're going to be told, hey, you're going to be promoted, or whether you're going to be told, hey, you're going to die, and obviously, you know, I'm just, you know, bear with me for a moment, and, and the, and the uh, birds are going to eat your flesh. There's positive and there's negative in the Bible. You know what you need to do? You just need to receive it anyways. You need to receive the word of the Lord Anyways, whether it's positive or negative. And you know what? A lot of the time, the negative messages are what you need to hear. And the reason why you don't like it so much is because it makes you uncomfortable. And the reason why it makes you uncomfortable is because it's true. Like a lot of the times when I'm preaching on something and you start feeling uncomfortable and you're moving around, it's because 
It's because you have a sin in your life and I'm talking about it. And I just hit on it for a few minutes. You need to you know, love the Word of God whether it's positive or whether it's negative. Not only that, those that preach the Word of God, which is really everyone, because everyone has an area where they preach the Word of the Lord, whether it's behind the pulpit, whether it's preaching the gospel, whether it's you know, teaching your children as a husband, a wife, teaching your wife, as, you know, teaching your, 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 uh, your children as a mother, a father, whatever it may be. You know, we all have areas where we are preaching or teaching the Word of God, and we need to not uh, uh, skip over certain parts because they're negative. We need to love and preach the whole Bible. We need to, like, you know, the Bible talks about preaching the whole counsel of God. Paul talks about how I left, I left back nothing. He didn't hold anything back. He preached everything, right? You know, when, when uh, Paul is telling Timothy, he's writing to Tim Timothy, he tells Timothy, he says, preach the Word. He says, be instant, and, this, and then he says this, in season and out of season. You know what that means? Popular, not popular. You know what? Let me interpret it again. Positive, negative. That's what it is. In season are the things that people like to hear. What do people like to hear? Positive things, right? Out of season, most of the time, are things that are negative. But do you know what the preacher of God's Word needs to do anyways? He needs to stand up and preach the Word of God, even if it's hair-lipping people, even if it's bothering people, even if I'm standing up here and I can see you squirming, I'm going to preach the Word of God anyways. I'm going to tell you the interpretation whether you want to hear it or not. You know why? Because I'm commanded to preach the Word of God. And any pastor or any preacher that's worth his salt will stand up and he'll preach the Word of God from the Bible. And he's not going to hold things back from you. He's going to tell you the positive and he's going to tell you the negative. You know why? Because the Word of God is truth. Amen. And I'm not going to hold any truth back from you. I'm going to preach all of it. You know, and, and always, when, when someone's not telling you something from the Word of God, it's almost all the time because it's negative. It's because they're scared, and they don't want to touch on this particular topic. They don't want to preach about this because they think someone's going to get angry. You know, whatever the reason may be, because they know, oh, this person had this happen in their past, or this person has this sin in their life, so I'm not going to talk about that. That doesn't matter. You should not be, you know, uh, subject, subjected to the environment. What should matter is that you're preaching the Word of God. That should, is what should matter to you, is the Word of God in the first place. You know, we, so, so we see two people here. On one part, we see the hearers of God's Word, right? How should they be? We should receive it no matter what, whether it's positive or whether it's negative. We shouldn't be like the butler. She's like, oh, you know, I hear the interpretation and it's good, right? So then, you know, this is kind of like the people that want to go to the positive-only preaching churches, isn't it? You know, when they hear the interpretation's good, they go in. This is what you hear when you talk to people about, you know, going out and, and, and trying to find a church oftentimes, whether it be people at your job or whatever it is. Um, you'll, you'll speak to them and they're looking for a church. And oftentimes, the type of church that they're looking for is a church that they can just go in and they can just sit down and they can hear a positive, uplifting, encouraging message. And then they can go home and, man, this is a good day. I'm going to spend the rest of the day with, day with my family. They don't ever want anyone to ever preach about their sin. They don't want you to touch on the fact of, of whatever it may be in their life. Some, some sin of, of, of laziness or a sin of adultery or a sin of theft or a sin of dishonesty. Whatever it may be. That's not the church that guy's looking for. And when, he, you know, when they go in and they see that the interpretation is good... They're like, hmm, this looks like a good church for me. I think I'll fit in real well here. If they go in and they see that the interpretation's not good, even though it's God's Word, even though you're preaching straight from the Word of God, they're like, I don't like this church very much. There's something about that, that church that I don't like that much. You know, it's because you, that, that's called conviction, brother. That's because you're starting to get convicted about your sins. You know, so, so that's the side of the hearer, Right? On the side of being the hearer of God's Word, you know, we should receive God's Word whether it's positive or whether it's negative. If it's God's Word, receive it. You know, whether or not it's good or bad, that should not be relevant. What should matter is whether it's the Word of the Lord, whether it's true or not. That's why I'm interested in truth. Not just, you know, uh, you know, the Bible talks about how there'll be a time that's coming right there in 2 Timothy 4 where people just want to, they want to heap unto themselves teachers having itching ears. 
What's that talking about? Because they, they, they just the things that they want to hear, and they're going to get all the teachers that will tell them the things that they want to hear, right? We should just be interested in the truth. It shouldn't be about us. It shouldn't be about what we're interested in. It shouldn't be about whether it's positive, whether it's good, whether it's bad. It shouldn't matter. We should just be interested in the Word of the Lord. And then not only that, if you want to be a preacher of the Word of God, if you want to teach the Word of God, you need to teach all of it. You shouldn't be you know, uh, just picking out what you like, what you're interested in, what makes you feel good, you know, what you know that the congregation is going to like. You know, I'm not going to preach about this because i got this kind of person in my church. None of that should matter. You should preach the Word of the Lord no matter what, every part of it. That means you need to be preaching about all the sins in the Bible. That means you need, you, that means you need to be preaching on Genesis through Revelation. Amen. That means you need to be preaching on every single... You know, the sins that the Bible talks about, those are the things you need to be preaching about. You know, and this goes for fathers teaching their children. You need to be teaching our children the Word of God. All of it. All of it. This is pure. You say, I don't know if I should talk to him about that one part in the Bible. The words of the Lord are pure words. All of this is for a child. There is, we don't need to get him some, you know, uh, 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 the baby's Bible or whatever it is. We need to get him the King James Bible. That's what we need. Or get her a King James Bible. This is, you know, precept upon precept. Who are we going to teach knowledge? They that are weaned from the breast, right? Precept upon precept, you know, here a little, there a line upon line. Precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. That's what we need to teach our children the Word of God. We don't need to, to water it down. We need to teach them the pure words of God and not hold anything back. We need to preach the whole counsel of God. Uh, so notice there, so he gives them the interpretation of it there. Notice in verse number 20 now. Pick up in verse number 20. It says this, And it came to pass the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, so even all the way back then, they celebrated their birthday, right? Uh, that he made a feast unto all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler. So he lifted up the head of the chief butler, and that meant, remember, that he restored him unto his um, previous butlership, right? His position as be, uh, of being a butler. And then it says, and of the chief baker among his servants. So he lifted his head up too, but that means something different for him. Remember, that's negative. Verse 21. And he restored the, the chief butler unto his butlership again. And he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. So he's back and he's serving before Pharaoh. Verse 22. But he hanged the chief baker. And then it says this. As Joseph had interpreted it, interpreted it uh, to them. Uh, yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. So notice what it says at the very end of verse number 22. It says, as Joseph had interpreted to them. So just like Joseph had said. So what does that mean that Joseph is? It means that he is a prophet, right? Go to Ezekiel chapter number 33. This is a perfect example, another example of a prophet. <clears throat> Ezekiel chapter number 33. This is very interesting uh, here at the very end. This is the Watchman chapter, of course, but Ezekiel chapter number 33. There at the end, notice what it says. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse number 33. And when this cometh to pass, I like this statement right here, this, this parenthetic statement, lo, it will come. Notice that. So he says, and when this cometh to pass, lo, it will come. God has no doubt. He knows, right? He knows the beginning from the end. Lo, it will come. And then it says this. Then shall they know that a prophet hath been among them. So what does that mean? That, what is a prophet? A prophet is someone that, has, that will foretell something, right? Exactly what Joseph did. Now what is a prophet? Like we talked about you know, a couple of Sundays ago, Sunday nights ago, it is a man that has a direct connection with God that has specific or secret revelations that are given unto him. I didn't even use Joseph as an example. But I, I, I talked about it and I told you how you can study this out. It is super clear every single time. I didn't even turn to Ezekiel 33 either. But notice it says, when it comes to pass... Then you shall know that a prophet hath been among you. You want to identify a prophet? Do you know what a prophet is? It's someone that tells you that something's going to come to pass, and then it does come to pass. That's a true prophet. What is the law? In the law, what does it tell you that a false prophet is? It's someone that says that something's going to come to pass, and then it does not come to pass. The consistency of what a prophet is in the Bible is just, just I mean, 
It is astoundingly clear. It is, let me say this, it is overwhelmingly clear every single time. And there were still people after I preached that sermon, they were like, you know, I still think, the, by and large, the majority conceded to a degree. But there were still people that were like, I still think the prophet can be a preacher. You know, when you hear the word of God, you need to have a humble heart. There are some things in the Bible that, are, that can be confusing. But there are a lot of things in the Bible that are just extremely clear. Like I was saying in the beginning of the sermon, most of the things in the Bible are just super, super clear. And this was an example of a topic that is extremely clear. And here again, we see Joseph, just in the, just in the very chapter we're preaching out of tonight, we see Joseph interpreting what? A dream. Interpreting a vision, right? He's interpreting this. He's obviously given this, this the, the interpretation of this vision and this dream, which would be a seer, right? It, notice it pertains also to visions and dreams. That's not a coincidence. And do you know what the people would have known after Joseph foretold this and then it came to pass? You know what they knew about Joseph? They knew that he was a prophet because that is the definition of a prophet. It is a, a seer. So what is a prophet? It's someone that says that something is going to come to pass. How, how can I know if someone's a prophet? I want to find out what a prophet is. How do you know what a prophet is? It's someone that says that something is going to come to pass and then it comes to pass. That is a prophet. That's what a prophet is in the Bible. It's someone that, that has secret revelations and 99.9% .9 of the time it is things that are for to come. Someone that is for telling something, something that is going to come to pass. Notice how it says, as Joseph had interpreted to them. That's how you can tell that it's the word of God. That's, how, that's what it means. So it says, that's how you're going to know that a prophet was among you. This is what it's saying. That's how you're going to know that this man was uh, basically speaking the word of God like a revelation of the Word of God, right? Because these are new revelations. Just like Ezekiel, you know, they're going to know that a prophet was among them, right? You know, I remember when Stephen Anderson was preaching one time, you know, I've dropped his name too often lately. I went like a year without dropping his name. But I remember one time when he was preaching and he went off, everybody knows what I'm talking about, he went off, you know, on a rant. I'm sure I was saying amen. And I was just as, as ignorant at that time as can be of what, a, what the definition of a prophet meant. And he was talking about going in and preaching to a city. I think he was talking about when he was thrown out of Malawi, actually, or Botswana. And he's, and he's talking about how, yeah, they might have thrown me out, but you know what? At least they know their prophet was among them. Now you know what the actual definition of a prophet was, is. You can see how foolish that is. That's not what it means about being a prophet. The fact that you were kicked out of a city isn't like, you know, you know what it's talking about in Ezekiel? It, he says, and it shall come to pass, and lo, it will come, saying this is going to happen. And, it, and then he says this, then. That word is very, very important if you look at that passage. Ezekiel 33, 33. Then shall they know that a prophet hath been among them. You know how they knew? That this guy was able to foretell the future. Stephen Anderson was not foretelling the future. He wasn't standing in Botswana and saying, hey, you know, this place is going to be destroyed and this, this, and this is going to happen and then you're going to know that a prophet was among you. That's not what a prophet is. A prophet is not just a preacher. And people have this weird you know, definition. A lot of people have this, this, this misunderstanding of what a prophet is. It is not just a preacher. A prophet is like Isaiah. A prophet is like Jeremiah. A prophet is like Daniel. These men are prophets. Joseph was a prophet. Joseph was a prophet. What did he do? He spoke the word of the Lord. God gave him these interpretations and these visions. It's very clear. Study it out for yourself. You know, if anyone studies this subject out and then walks away and they have half a brain in their head and they walk away saying a prophet is just a regular normal preacher, you're a liar. You do not believe that. You, you want to hold on to your stupid interpretation of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. That's the only reason why you, you're saying that. It's because you, it's, it's a doctrine of convenience for you. And that is the only reason why you're saying it. A prophet is not just a, preach, a preacher. A prophet is a seer. That is the, the Bible's definition of a prophet. Look at verse number 23. <clears throat> it tells you this. 
Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. So notice here that what Joseph said was going to come to pass did. The butler was returned back to his butlership again, and then the chief baker was hanged just like uh, Joseph had foretold. Uh, but the, unfortunately, the bad thing was that the uh, butler, when he was returned back to Pharaoh, he's probably so happy because we find out later, you know, he didn't do this on purpose. He says, I remember this day my faults, right? So this was not purposeful. This was not that he had something against Joseph or that he didn't want to bring it up for whatever reason. He was scared maybe to speak to the king. That's not what it was. Actually, he really did forget. And I'm sure he had a lot going on. He's probably excited and happy that he's back there. Maybe he was back with his family. I don't know exactly his situation. But I'm sure you know, uh, he was happy that he was returned back. And then it just slipped his mind. Right? This is a good uh, um, uh, a point to make. I think about this quite often uh, when I read this passage of just how it's selfish of this butler. How, how Joseph... You know, he walks in and you know, he's asking, you know, why are you guys sad? He's just there to do work and stuff. But he's obviously concerned about them. And he says, why are you guys sad? And then they tell him, oh, it's because of, of you, know, there, you know, we had these dreams. There's no man to tell it to us. And then he tells them the interpretation there. He helps them. And then the man leaves. So you can see Joseph having like an attitude of, of, of compassion towards them. Like the Bible says to look not... You know, every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. So you can see Joseph is, is being selfless and not being selfish. Then the chief butler is like, return back, and he's all happy like, see you later, sucker. And he doesn't even remember Joseph, you know, who is such a humble guy. You can tell after he, he tells him the interpretation, he's like, remember me? I was stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. I mean, wouldn't you remember that guy? Wouldn't you feel bad for him? You know, it, it's, it's sad to even read about. And then the, the chief butler's back in his position and he totally forgets about Joseph. You know, so yeah, of course things can happen and good people can, it can slip your mind and stuff, but I think we can learn from this not to be selfish. We need to be, how Joseph was selfless and he wanted to help him, was concerned, why are you sad? He helped him out. Then the man is returned back to his position and the guy totally forgets about Joseph and he doesn't help Joseph out, right? So uh, obviously these dreams were given to these men um, for the purpose of Joseph giving the interpretation, and so he would be, you know, uh, um, exonerated and promoted later on, of course, uh, to uh, second in charge. Uh, he had the, he was second of authority in all of the Egyptian uh, um, empire, and God used him greatly. So, of course, that's the reason why you know, these dreams and Joseph interpreted them in the, why the, the dreams even came about in the first place. Of course, so make sure that, uh, that we, you know, we, need to, we need to make sure that we're not going around our lives and just constantly concerned about ourselves and uh, being selfish and things like that. We need to be selfless. We need to look on the things of others, not just think about ourselves. Hey, I got promoted! And then forget about the little guy, right? You know, uh, forget about the little people. You know, not think about everybody else. You know, we need, we need to uh, be concerned ourselves with other people, right? We need to, uh, uh, you know, condescend down to men of low estate, right? Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, dear Lord.